Our first reading for this Pentecost Sunday comes to us from the second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I've been thinking about nostalgia. It's a, it's a funny and very personal thing normally, right? Nostalgia is, is something that, that uh, you, you know yourself because you've had specific experiences that you look back fondly upon and, and you, you kind of long to go back to those after they have long passed, right? Nostalgia is the reason that though I'm currently playing the latest and greatest Zelda game, Tears of the Kingdom, my heart tells me and assures me that the 1998 and 2000 Zelda games, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, are the greatest video games of all time, let alone Zelda games. Now, that might, might, might not mean much to you, right? But it's also why I look back fondly on the 1996 movie, 
and notice these are all way in the past. Space Jam. Space Jam. Yeah, that's right. Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes. Maybe that one hits a chord for a couple more people in the room. But there's one, one scene in particular in Space Jam that brings back nostalgia for me. In that scene, Daffy Duck takes a particularly hard hit from the Monstar alien basketball player. And in his tune-splattered state, Daffy says, but mommy, I don't want to go to school today. I want to stay home and, and bake cookies with you in the way that only Daffy can. Now, for me, that's not just nostalgia-inducing, but it's an expression of nostalgia, isn't it? You don't want to go to work. You don't want to go to school. You don't want to play a high-stakes cartoon basketball game against literal aliens in order to get your opponent's basketball talent back and save Looney Tune land. No. You want to you wanna bake cookies with mom. It sounds so nice, so simple, so easy. That's nostalgia, isn't it? Now, if you're wondering why is Pastor Reefstack talking about Space Jam, then clearly you don't have my particular nostalgia for probably Space Jam or Zelda. But I'm sure you have your own nostalgias, your own things that lead you to look back wistfully upon the past, whether it's books or movies or video games or just moments in time. We all have things that we look back fondly upon. And it's especially common to look back fondly with that nostalgia when the present is difficult or scary or uncertain in any way. When the present looks weird, why not look back to that simpler, easier time? So, with all the uncertainty of the present moment, if this is your first Sunday here at Calvary, this is, for many people in the room, and for me included, a, one of those uncertain moments. It's my last Sunday here. I'm about to head to Murray, Kentucky, and be pastor there. There's plenty of uncertainty there for me. There's plenty of uncertainty there for everybody else in the room. But with all that uncertainty, let's look back. Let's reminisce all the way back to a week ago to Pastor Sam's sermon. Pastor Sam preached on how the life of faith can be something like a relay race, that race where runners pass that baton to one after the other, aiming to win the race running faster than the other teams of runners. Well, I want to run, grab that baton and run with it for a little while. But all jokes aside, there is a sense in which this is a perfect metaphor, not just for the life of faith, but for what's going on at Pentecost. See, Jesus, Jesus is about to leave, and the disciples know it. He's about to hand off that baton, and the disciples are about to have to run their leg of the race. They're about to have to take up that responsibility and run in the direction that Jesus has chosen for them. And right before Jesus ascends up into heaven, this is what Jesus says. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, 
and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. I want to draw your attention to a couple of things in that Acts, in that Luke 24 passage. Number one, the disciples have a clear mission from Jesus. They are to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. That is, that is a, clear, a clear way forward that they have to move on. Number two, they are uniquely qualified for this job, and Jesus tells them so. They are witnesses of these things. And number three, Jesus gives them a blessing to send them on their way, the promise of the Father. So they're ready to go. They've got a mission. They've got a blessing. They're equipped for the job that they're about to do. They're ready to run, ready to take that baton and go. But then Jesus says, and this is where it gets a little bizarre. He says, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And just like that, go disciples, go, gives way to stop disciples, stop. And yes, for anyone keeping track, that's a go dog, go reference. More nostalgia for you. Stop, disciples, stop. The disciples, everything comes screeching to a halt in a cartoonish sort of way. In our metaphorical relay race, Jesus is running at them full speed, holding out the baton, and then he says, ah, 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 not yet. Don't run. Wait in the city. Stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, I can only imagine that this was a disorienting thing for those gathered disciples. It was a disorienting thing, but then Jesus makes it worse because when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. He ascended into heaven. The disciples had to be standing around saying, what just happened? Are, are we supposed to stay in Jerusalem, or what are we supposed to go? Are, why are we in Bethany if we're supposed to stay in Jerusalem? After all, Bethany is where Jesus ascended. What's this power that Jesus speaks about? Now, we know the answer to all these questions. After all, it is Pentecost Sunday. We know the power. We know when Jesus, when that power will descend, where it will descend. Yes, they will be in Jerusalem, gathered in that room. But these disciples, they're ready to go, and yet they're also nervous poised to run the race, totally qualified to run the race, but you have to imagine they've got doubts in their mind too. After all, they've seen one disciple screw it up. Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus. Being a disciple doesn't protect you from any possible failure. No, they know that that's a possibility for them too. Their fearless leader is gone. Jesus isn't there. What are they going to do without him? They no longer have that Jesus-type security blanket that they had before. How do they move forward without him? And they know 
they can tell that the weight of responsibility is about to descend upon them. Jesus told them it would. I would argue that this right here is a perfect formula for a little bit of nostalgia. They can look back at the relative simplicity of the past. They see all of the pressures of the present and the impending weight of responsibility that is yet to come upon them. Man, it had to be tempting to look back on the good old days with Jesus and he was still there. It had to be tempting to say, but Jesus, we don't want to go witness today. We want to stay here and be with you. But that wasn't an option. That wasn't Jesus' plan for them. If you could go back to that Pentecost Sunday, before the Holy Spirit descended, as they were gathered in that upper room, likely filled with doubts and uncertainties and fears, would you validate any concerns the disciples may have had? Would you have said, yeah, this makes total sense that you guys are worried? I don't think I could. Because we know what's about to happen on that Pentecost Sunday. We know that those tongues of fire are about to descend and the Holy Spirit is about to descend and fill their hearts and lead them on to do amazing things. We know what's next in the story and what's next in the rest of Acts. How Peter is going to stand up and preach an incredible sermon, a sermon which barely looks back at all, has no nostalgia for the past. For Peter says, look, we don't need the days of Moses or Abraham. He doesn't even look back to the days of Jesus. He says, he says, he looks forward to the wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below that will be performed by these very disciples. He looks to the present when in this moment, the day is now here, Peter says, that Joel prophesied, when God's Spirit will be poured out on all flesh, Peter delights in and invites other people into the present when that Holy Spirit of God is here now. You know, those disciples could not have known it, but they were living the days that we now look back fondly upon. Nostalgia might be a very personal thing, but the church has an incredible shared nostalgia for these days when they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, days of miracles where they had everything in common and daily were added to their number those who were being saved. We, we look back with shared nostalgia on these moments with them. Jesus might have been gone, but in the, spirit of the, in the Spirit of Christ, they gathered as the body of Christ around the gifts of Christ, His scriptures and His sacraments and repentance and the forgiveness of sins were proclaimed. You, 
not just those disciples, are witnesses of these very things. You know, there's a sense in which we all are standing in that metaphorical relay race exchange zone. We're all kind of up in the air, stuck like the disciples were, were being told, wait, hold on. You know something is coming. You know something new is coming, and yet we're going to stand here for a minute, paused, waiting. The saints in Murray are waiting for a pastor. I'm waiting to step into that position. You are, in a sense, waiting for what's next when I leave, wondering what's next for Calvary. And whoever may step into my shoes or have shoes of his own that are slightly different from mine, Whoever may be here, whatever ups and downs Calvary may experience in the coming days, weeks, months, years, Jesus has called each of us individually to take up our cross and follow Him. And yes, that means responsibility. It means running a race. It means uncertainties and unknowns. And these things are perfect recipes for nostalgia, for looking back two years, or 20 years, or 2,000 years. But today, I again encourage you to fix your eyes firmly ahead upon Jesus. Last week, Pastor Sam brought out Hebrews chapter 12, but today I encourage you to check out Philippians chapter 3. There, Paul says, and I'm going to change the pronouns to express us, not just him. We haven't already attained the prize or been made perfect, but we press on to make that prize our own because Jesus Christ has made us his own. We are not there yet, but rather forgetting what lies behind and straining forward toward what lies ahead. Let me read that again. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward toward what lies ahead, we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We know the end of this story, the end of this race, that Jesus is the founder and perfecter the beginning and end, that he can and will run this race to its completion. So resolve, when you look backward, to look back on in thanksgiving and to focus your eyes forward all the rest of the time upon Jesus. Focus upon him that you might know that full assurance of the gifts that he offers here in this place as we continue to gather as the body of Christ. We get, as we gather around those gifts, the very peace of God, which comes from knowing that founder and that perfecter of our faith, which comes from knowing that the one who sends us out sends us out in that same Holy Spirit that moved those disciples so powerfully on that first Pentecost Sunday. 
and our hearts and minds are kept in the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.